Good morning. Last week, of course, was Pentecost Sunday, and we celebrated uh, the Holy Spirit's coming to the church. We looked at Acts chapter 2, and, and we celebrated that. Pentecost is such a great, great day, and how God took those 120 recent failures, Frady Cat followers of Jesus, and transformed them into world changers. Literally, they flipped the world upside down. And I love Pentecost. I love when the sanctuary is splashed in red, and I get to wear my red shirt, and I love the candles burning. It reminds us of the tongues of fire that were over the believer's head, and I love the, the scripture being read in different languages. It reminds us that we are one people in Christ, that, that there are no strangers in Jesus. I love all of that. But there's one problem with Pentecost. It's too short. The other holidays, holy holidays, you know, Christmas and Easter, we got three big ones in the, in the Christian church. Christmas, you have four Sundays of Advent leading up to Christmas, and then we have our Christmas Eve service, candlelight service in here. It's one of the best services of the year. It's awesome. And Easter, my goodness, Easter, we have the, the season of Lent. That's six weeks leading up to, to Easter, and we have special services during Holy Week, our Monday, Thursday service, our Good Friday service, Tenebrae service, one of my favorite services of the year, all leading up to, you know, our Super Bowl Easter. But Pentecost, you know, we dress a little bit in red, we got some candles burning, say a few languages, I try to preach a fiery Holy Ghost sermon, and we go home, that's it. No Pentecost presents, no hidden Pentecost basket in the closet someplace, no one sends me Pentecost cards, Walmart doesn't have an aisle full of Pentecost candy, nothing, 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 it's, you know, one day done. So, to correct that, you know, it just seems like, like Pentecost should have more excitement, more fanfare, more spirit, if you will, no pun intended, well, yeah, some pun intended. So, to that end, everyone on your way out gets a piece of Pentecost pie. No, that's not true. <laughs> to that end, today and next Sunday, as well as last Sunday when we started, really, this conversation, we're going to talk about that third person in the Trinity. Today is also Trinity Sunday, besides Father's Day. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to try to tackle the question, why, why, do, I even, why do I need the Holy Spirit? Why should I want the Holy Spirit? Last week, we looked at Jesus' words in John 14 and 16 when he was describing the Holy Spirit, really, on the night that he was betrayed, trying to encourage the, the disciples and, and remind them that God was going to be with them. He, he encouraged them about news of this Holy Spirit that was going to come. So I'd like to dig a little bit deeper in that passage we looked at last week from John 16 when Jesus says this in verse 7, But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, capital A, the Greek word parakletos, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove to the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people don't believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. About judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus said it's for our own good. For our good. Meaning it's better to have the Holy Spirit with us than the flesh and bones and blood and hair and physical Jesus standing right there. That's what Jesus is saying. Do you believe it? 
I mean, do, do, do you really believe that? I mean, Jesus said it, so it's got to be true, right? I mean, Jesus said it. The disciples, they were having troubles getting their mind around that. That somehow, some way, having the Holy Spirit, who they can't see, would be better than a flesh and bones and blood Jesus that they could see. It, it just seems like it would be better. And people, I think, today struggle with that same issue. How can it be better to have the Holy Spirit that I can't see instead of the, the Jesus that I can't? If Jesus were here today, he could say something profound because it's Jesus and he'll say something profound and we could put it on social media and it would go across the world and we would know exactly his perfect direction and perfect guidance and, and, and perfect plan to follow, perfect peace. Seems like that would be easier. Yet Jesus, not just anybody, Jesus himself, said, if I go, the Father's going to send this advocate, the, some versions say counselor, this comforter, parakletos, the Holy Spirit, that'll be better, way better. He's telling the disciples, listen, for three years, I've been with you. For three years, you saw, you saw, me, you saw me raise the dead. You saw me feed thousands. You saw me heal hundreds. You heard, you heard all the great sermons all the great parables. For three years, I jam-packed that all in there in three years. But this gift of the Holy Spirit, even better. Again, the disciples, it was hard for them to grasp. How can it be better, this, this one I can't see, better than the one I can see? So this morning, we're going to tackle that. And I'm working from the assumption that we have a working knowledge of the Holy Spirit. I mean, most of you have been in church more than once. Maybe you've been in a Sunday school class where you, they've talked about the Holy Spirit. Last week in the service, we, we sang, you know, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place. Feel the atmosphere, the glory. God is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence. Lord. We sang it. You know the lingo. But let me ask you this question. When was the last time you saw the Holy Spirit work undeniably in your life? Now, if you can answer that question right away, well, I can tell you, Pastor Rob, when the last time was. It was last week, and this happened, and it was really powerful, and the Holy Spirit came. It wasn't me at all. It was the Holy Spirit. If that was you, awesome. That's great. Terrific. But I think, I think, I think, most of us, when I ask that question, when was the last time you saw the Holy Spirit work undeniably in your life? Most of us, I dare say, would struggle with a good answer. You see, maybe we have head knowledge of the Holy Spirit's working. We've been in Sunday school. We know the lingo. But we need life knowledge. See, when Jesus was talking about this advocate that was coming, those early disciples, I, think, I dare say that we have more head knowledge than even what the disciples had as it refers to the Holy Spirit. All they had was Jesus' words. And, of course, the power of the Holy Spirit after Pentecost. We have We have books. We have theology courses, we have seminars, we have sermons, we have, we have songs, Trinitarian songs that we sing. Disciples had none of that. And yet, with no Bibles, no theology courses, no seminars, and yet it seems that, the whole, that the, those disciples knew the Holy Spirit more intimately, more powerfully than most of us, if not all of us. They were, the New Testament is overwhelmingly gives example after example, we're going to get into a few, of how they were led, how they were empowered, how they were given their marching orders, how they were told to go or stay, and they did it. Look, in Acts chapter 8, 
In Acts chapter 8, Philip is traveling, the Bible tells us, and then the the Bible says this, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, and in quotation marks, it has what the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alongside beside that carriage, and he did, he did, and and that's where there was a wonderful miracle. In Acts 9, the very next chapter, Luke is writing about the early church, he says this, the church had, had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord, and hear this, with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. So the Holy Spirit is encouraging, it's providing growth. In Acts 10, next chapter again, Peter has a vision. And Luke, the writer of this, describes that and says Peter was puzzling over this vision and then looks at what happens. The Holy Spirit said to him, blah, 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 blah. In Acts 11, the very next chapter, Peter's talking about this decision that he has about welcoming the, the Gentiles into the Christian family. And he says this, the Holy Spirit told me Not just anybody. The Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not to worry that they were Gentiles. In in Acts 13, Luke is describing the church at Antioch in a meeting where they were worshiping and fasting. And he says this. One day these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting and the Holy Spirit said, apparently to all of them, anoint Paul or Barnabas and Saul for the special work for which I have called them. The Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit is speaking. They're listening. In Acts 16... The Bible says this, next Paul and Silas traveled through the area of of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mycenae, they headed north to the province of Bithynia, and there again the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go through, so instead they went through through Mycenae to the seaport of Troas. So the Holy Spirit is saying, go here, don't go here, stop there, don't go there. These people, and there's, there's so many more examples I could give, I'm just giving a few. The point was the Holy Spirit was directing and speaking and encouraging, saying, move here, don't go there, cheering them on, and, and, and providing the growth, working on all sorts of ways. Maybe they didn't have theology books or even Bibles that they could hold or seminars that they could attend, but they were experiencing the Holy Spirit in their everyday lives, not head knowledge, life knowledge. So what's the deal for us? You may not be able to quote Romans 8, 9, but I think you know the truth in Romans 8, 9. It says, but you, however, are, in the, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And we'd say, yeah, 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 the Spirit of God lives in me. I become a Christian. God's Spirit lives in me. You may not be able to quote 1 Corinthians 6, 19, and 20, but you know it's truth. In fact, you've heard this usually preached uh, when it's talking about some of the, you know, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go out with girls that do, that type of sermon. But you, 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 you know this passage. It says, don't you know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? That is, that's what it said. Our bodies, temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you receive from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Again, the Holy Spirit is in us. We say all the time, you know, Jesus lives in my heart. I became a Christian, and Jesus lives in my heart. You probably heard the, the old story about the kid who was at the doctor, and the doctor looks in his ears, gets a scope out, looks in his ears and say, hey, am I going to find Big Bird in here? Kid didn't say anything. Gets a tongue depressor out, looks down, hey, am I going to find the cookie monster in there? Doesn't say anything. Gets his stethoscope, listens to the, to the little kid's heart, says, hey, am I going to hear Barney in there? Finally, the kid speaks. He says, no, Barney's on my underpants. Jesus lives in my heart. 
we know that. Everybody, we know Jesus in our heart. You become a Christian. Where's Jesus? He's in my heart. We sing songs about Jesus in my heart. You say, Pastor, we know all about this stuff. Well, okay, okay, okay. If that's true, we can all agree that's what happens. You become a Christian. Jesus comes into our heart. The Holy Spirit enters us. Initial sanctification for you theological buffs. Now let me ask you this. If the Holy Spirit dwells in us, if our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, if Jesus Christ himself comes and makes his home in our heart, then shouldn't there be a huge difference between those who have the Holy Spirit living within them and those that do not have the Holy Spirit living within them? And doesn't that just make sense? If the third person of the Trinity, Almighty God, takes up resident in a person's life, the counselor, the comforter, the advocate, the parakletos, the Holy Spirit of God empowers those 120 believers, totally transforms them, flips the world upside down. If that same spirit is living in me, shouldn't that mean that that should make a big, big difference in my life? Let me explain it this way. Suppose the Holy Spirit's empowerment, God's empowerment, say, suppose I told you I had an encounter with God and, and the Holy Spirit came in me and in a supernatural way, he gave me the ability to play baseball. Now, that's not what the Holy Spirit does. He doesn't give you the ability to play baseball, but just stick with me for a minute. Suppose the Holy Spirit empowered me, this encounter with God that I had empowered me to play baseball uh, 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 in a great way. Now, you would expect if it's God Almighty that's, that's infilling me and allowing me to play baseball, you would expect that there would be a remarkable improvement in my baseball ability. You know, I'd, I'd run faster, right? I'd jump higher. I'd be able to catch balls, uh, you know, that are going over the fence. I'd be, I'd be the greatest pitcher, the most valuable hitter. I mean, if God Almighty, the Spirit of God Almighty was filling my body, enabling me to play baseball. Isn't this the spirit of Tommy Verizer for you old baseball Tiger fans? Now, this isn't Ray Euler. This isn't Nico Goodrum for you new Tiger fans. You know, this is the spirit of God Almighty. You would think that, that I would be a great, great baseball player. But what if you observed my life? And you heard me talk about this supernatural encounter that I had with God who gave me a supernatural ability to play baseball, but you saw no change whatsoever in my athleticism, zero. I've talked about having this supernatural encounter with God and supernatural ability to play baseball, but I'm just as confused by a curveball as I was before that encounter. I didn't jump faster, I didn't run, run, or I jumped higher, didn't run faster, none of those. Didn't hit the ball better. You would probably question the validity of my encounter with God. You'd ask a few questions, wouldn't you? you? You'd say, wait a minute. You told me you had an encounter with God who enables you to play baseball, and this is God Almighty we're talking about, and you still swing and miss most of the time, if not all of the time. You would question the validity of what I'm saying. Now, I know that's a silly illustration. God doesn't empower us to play, you know, baseball. If he did... Doc would be in the Hall of Fame, and that'd be awesome. But here's, here's, here's the problem. People all over the world, you and me, all over the world, we say we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes in us. 
the spirit of the holy God, God Almighty, comes in us. And we talk about being born again. We talk about this new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We, we, we talk about how my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God living in me, reigning in me. But when people outside the church, non-church folks, people who don't know our lingo, people who, who, who don't know much about the Bible or Jesus or the Holy Spirit, non-church folks, if they see no difference I mean absolutely no difference in a person that says they have Jesus living in their heart and a person that doesn't make any claims about having Jesus in their heart. It seems like they might question the validity of what we're saying. It seems like they might say, wait, did you really have an encounter with the holy God? I mean, if God transforms your life, you don't look like you've been transformed that much. You're just as gossipy, just as angry, just as foul-mouthed, just as vicious on, on Facebook, just as messed up. In fact, more so than other people I know that make no such claims. Is that, is that what victorious Christian living is? Because if that's what victorious Christian is, living is, uh, thanks, but no thanks. I don't think I want it. Remember the question of our day, why do I need the Holy Spirit? If there's no difference between living with the Holy Spirit and living without the Holy Spirit, then, my friends, you don't need the Holy Spirit. But I believe there is a difference. I believe that's what Jesus is talking about. I believe when he says that the Holy Spirit of God can so come upon a person and so infill a person, so much so that it's better to have the Holy Spirit we don't see than a Jesus that we do see. I think that that means that there's something going on. And if, there, and if I'm not seeing a difference, if I'm not seeing any kind of difference, then I need to get back on my knees and say, Lord, I need the Holy Spirit at work in my life. See, what Jesus said is true. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean when the Holy Spirit comes into a person's life, it doesn't mean that you're perfect, doesn't mean you'll never sin. Doesn't mean that it means if you do sin, if you do fall down, you get up and you run back to Jesus. It means that God Almighty is at work in a person's life, and there's growth and there's grace and there's holiness when the Holy Spirit lives in us. It gives us He gives us a desire to live a holy life. It's not just bumping your head on the altar. Okay, I checked that off. I've, I've got my ticket punched. I got my get out of hell free card, and now I can do whatever I want. That is not it. There's this idea of holy living that God calls us to live a holy life, not being satisfied with a low living, low, low, always in trouble, no victory type of living. Jesus has more for you than that. Last week, we looked at Jesus' words in, in John 14. And in John 14, he says something really interesting. He said, I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. That phrase there, another advocate, it's not like if you're holding on to a banana and I say, here, here, have this orange, it's another fruit. It's not like that. The, the, the meaning, the implication that Jesus is saying is that it's like if you were holding a banana and I said, here, have another banana, have more of the same. And Jesus in this passage is saying, listen, the Holy Spirit, when this advocate comes, another advocate, what you're getting is more the same of me. 
It's just that now, instead of seeing me and walking with me, now I'm going to be in you. Now I'm going to be directing you. And now you can have direct communication with me every single day, every moment of the day, all the time. It's more of the same. It's, you've had me. Now the promise is that you're going to have the Holy Spirit. It's more of the same. Another advocate, more, more, more of the same. That same counselor, that same advocate, that same, that, 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 that same peace that Jesus gave, that same confidence that Jesus would give, that same power and strength is now at work through the Holy Spirit. You may say, well, that doesn't seem the same to me. I mean, it seems like it'd be a whole lot easier. Jesus, were there, and I could say, Jesus, what do I do? Where do I go? Maybe, maybe, maybe it's not the issue isn't the Holy Spirit speaking. Maybe it's our desire to listen and to follow. Again, remember Jesus' words. When he comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove to the world to be wrong about sin, wrong about righteousness, wrong about judgment. Why do we need the, the Holy Spirit? If we're listening, the Holy Spirit will teach us about sin and righteousness and judgment. That's what Jesus just said. Those are three pretty big deals. It seems like you want to get those three things right. And so the Holy Spirit is teaching us. He says this, Jesus says this in, in John 14, 9, about sin because people don't, do not believe in me. Listen, when you're a Christian, you accept Jesus into your heart. The Holy Spirit comes and reigns in you. The Holy Spirit will then begin teaching you about sin. He'll, he'll begin, you know, temptations come to everybody. Temptation... You know, Billy Graham was tempted, Mother Teresa was tempted, Jesus was tempted, you'll be tempted, I'll be tempted, we're tempted. And some groups teach that you're doomed to fall into those temptations. I mean, you're going to sin, it's inevitable, you're doomed, you're human. Sorry, that's just it. But Jesus says, wait a minute, God's Spirit is now living in you. That's what we just said, Jesus lives in us directing us, offering us guidance, offering, giving us counsel. He's the advocate, the comforter, the counselor. So doesn't it make sense when faced with a temptation? If we pray a very simple prayer about that situation and God Almighty, God Almighty who doesn't want to have anything to do with sin, God Almighty who knows that sin will drive a wedge between you and him. Don't you think, doesn't it make sense that if we pray, Lord, what, what about this circumstance? I'm at a crossroads. I, I, I don't know, should, should I keep going or should I run away? Is this harmless fun or is this a slippery slope? I guarantee you, God will answer that prayer every single time. Every time we pray about a, a, a sinful choice or not, we say, Lord, what, do I, what am I to do in this circumstance? See, the, Jesus said the Holy Spirit teaches us about sin. Teaches us, listen, don't go there. Those friends are going to drag you down. Don't go into that establishment. There's nothing that's good in there. Don't, go, don't get messed up with that. Don't flirt with that coworker. Don't post those hurtful messages on social media. The Holy Spirit will be talking, talking, talking and, uh, about all these things we need to avoid. And the question is, are you listening? The Holy Spirit teaches us about sin. That's what Jesus said. He said the Holy Spirit also teaches us about righteousness. He said this about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can no longer see me. If the first lesson, lesson that the Holy Spirit teaches is about sin, what we need to avoid, then the next lesson of, uh, is about righteousness, what we need to do. What's the righteous thing? What's the godly thing? What's the God-honoring thing? 
and the Holy Spirit will prompt us. Hey, Rob, you see that guy? Don't you think you could help him? Hey, hey Rob, do you see that situation? Don't you think maybe you could, you could step in there? The Holy Spirit prompts us. I remember when I was uh, a summer intern, last week I talked about when my first sermon preached. When I was a summer intern at that church, the pastor and I, a guy by the name of John Carr, he and I were out calling or something. We were heading back to the church on M68, coming from Indian River to Alanson. And we drove by this, this guy. He was working. I, I didn't really even pay attention to him. I, he was working on his boat in his driveway. And we drove by him. And, you know, up north, there's not a lot of traffic. And John just does a U-turn right in the middle of the road and does a U-turn and starts heading back towards Indian River. And I said, what in the world are you doing? And he said, well, he goes, the Holy Spirit told me I need to talk to that guy. <laughs> I didn't hear nothing. So, okay, okay, all right, let's go. And so John, you know, he pulls into this driveway. We didn't know this guy. He didn't come to our church. I'd never met him before. John didn't know him. He hops out of the car, and I'm, you know, kind of like the little puppy behind him. I go, follow. John starts talking to him. Hey, I was driving by. I saw you out here. Holy Spirit told me to stop and talk to you. And the guy was about as surprised as I was by that. You know, really? You know, who are these people? But we started talking to him. When I say we, I mean John. I was just kind of watching. But he was talking to him, talking to him, talking to him. Eventually, we learned that his wife and his kids, and John said, listen, I just really think that I need to pray for you. And we prayed for him right there in his driveway. A couple weeks later, him and his wife and kids showed up in church. John taught me an important lesson. When you have the Holy Spirit living in you, when you're saying that you're walking and led by the Spirit, then you need to pay attention to the Spirit. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will prompt you. I don't know how he's going to prompt you. I don't know what he's going to say to you. Maybe, nobody, maybe somebody in the same car can't hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. But you know the Holy Spirit is prompting you. Maybe it'll be something big. I want you to go into full-time ministry. Maybe it'll be something sort of big. I want you to go to Panama. I want you to help out with VBS. I want you to, to help out with the Boys and Girls Club. Maybe it'll be something every day. I want you to take a plate of cookies to your neighbor who's hurting and sad right next door to you. I want you to pay attention to the people who live on your street. I want you to start praying for that coworker that you know doesn't know Jesus and is so far away. Just pray for him that you might have a spiritual conversation. It's listening for the prompting of the Holy Spirit. About sin, he tells us about the things we need to avoid. About righteousness, he opens our eyes to the potential of what God could do in us and through us in our world to make a difference for him. And then Jesus says, he teaches us about judgment. And what he teaches about judgment, Jesus says, says here, he says about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So he's saying, it's not our judgment he's, he's speaking to us about. It's a reminder that our enemy is doomed. That Satan is the one that stands condemned. Satan's time is running out. That's what Jesus' point is. Our enemy doesn't have the final word Jesus does. You've probably heard the old saying, when Satan reminds me of my past, I need to remind him of his future. That's kind of what Jesus is getting at here. That, that, that I can trust that the Holy Spirit will speak to me. And even though the father of this world 
may lie. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus said in John 8, 33. He said, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Pretty straightforward. Satan is a liar. Holy Spirit will be speaking truth into you, telling you what you need to avoid, tell you what you need to do, prompt you into doing those things for God. At the same time, our enemy will be the father of lies, maybe sending you all sorts of garbage. You need to recognize his lies. Because that's all it is. They're lies, and there's millions of them. Now, again, I don't know how, what lies you're listening to, but I know some of the familiar ones. Lies like, God can't be trusted. He's out to get you. That's what he told Eve, remember, in the garden of Eve. Did God really say you can't eat from that tree? Are you kidding me? He knows that you're going to be, you're going to be like him. You can't trust him. Or the lies that says you're not good enough. Sorry, you're not good enough. Your past disqualifies you. You're out. I'm glad Paul didn't listen to that. I'm glad Peter didn't listen to that. I'm glad Moses didn't listen to that. I'm glad David didn't listen to that. Listen, we've all made mistakes. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have a past. Don't listen to those lies. Here's a big lie that he gives. Sure, it's a sin, but it's not that big of one. Famous last words, right? Romans 32 says, Your sins will find you out, and how true that is. God does know what's going on. Remember when Satan was tempting Jesus? What was Satan's trick then? He was twisting scripture. He kept twisting scripture all the time to Jesus. Believe me, he will twist scripture to you. He'll make you think the wrong is right and the right is wrong. He twists scripture. How do we combat that? Get in scripture yourself. Know God's word. Know what God is saying. Get in God's word. And guess what happens? When you're in God's word, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. The Holy Spirit prompts you. The Holy Spirit re reminds you of where to go and what to avoid and all those things. One last lie. Satan, oh, he loves this one. He, he's, you deserve to be happy. Go ahead. You deserve to be happy. That sounds right even, doesn't it? Jesus didn't come just so you could be happy. Jesus came so you'd be holy. That's what we're talking about. And sometimes, now, when you're holy, when you're living for Jesus, he's in your heart, the Holy Spirit is at work, and you're following after him, there is joy in our salvation. You know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. You know, there is joy, there is real joy. I have never regretted a minute my, my accepting Jesus and serving Jesus and living for Jesus. Never a minute. But the Bible doesn't say without happiness, no one will see God. It says without holiness, no one will see God. And, and we need to live, we need to... If we're going to say that we've got this Holy Spirit indwelling in us, Jesus is in my heart, then we need to be acting like it. That's the point. And Jesus is saying, listen, about sin, he's telling you what you need to avoid. About righteousness, he's prompting you to those things where you can, you can move forward. About judgment, the father of lies, he's standing condemned, he's doomed, he's over, he's finished. I won that battle. My mom, who could not sing, she would sing, she'd get a song in her head, and she'd just kind of sing it all the time, much to my chagrin. And, and for a long time, she had a song in her mind by a guy by the name of, uh, he wrote it, uh, uh, Elmer Cole. Do you remember, anybody remember? And there was a song that he sang. You may not know the, the songwriter, but you probably, if you were as old as my mom, you would remember it. There was a line in the, the song. My mom, she, she couldn't always remember the words, but she remembered this. The battle is over. 
And the victory's been won 10,000 years And we've just begun And then she'd kind of hum the rest of the song Because she couldn't remember it But she'd sing that over and over The battle is over And the victory's been won 10,000 years It's saying, you know, once we get to heaven but, but the truth of the matter was Was we may face troubles here We may face problems here Satan may send us lies here but when the Holy Spirit is living in you, reigning in you, prompting you to do what's right, reminding you to avoid what's wrong, the battle is over. The victory's been won. Well, it's Father's Day. And so I should tell you, I tell you stories about my dad all the time. When, I'll tell you this one. Um, my dad, as you know, he became a Christian. He was, he was, he was a drunk before he became a Christian. He had no church background whatsoever. Um, had never really been in church it's until the, the night that he went to church and that evening by his bed accepted Jesus into his life. And I've told you before, you know, he was a fall-through-the-door drunk. And that night, however he prayed, whatever he prayed, God took drinking away from him that night. Now, that, God doesn't always do that. So don't hear me say that that's what God always does. Sometimes, sometimes God uses AA and he uses Celebrate Recovery. He uses other things to help people get through that. But for my dad... He prayed some, some prayer because he didn't even know how to pray and he never had another drink. But that does not mean that my dad was, was perfect at that moment. Uh, again, my dad grew up on the streets of Detroit. His mom died when he was two. His dad was an alcoholic and was out of the house. He was raised by his sister who was 10. He had a lot of rough edges when he came to know Jesus. He, he was, I told you, he was, he, was, he was in a motorcycle gang. And when he told me that, I couldn't believe it, you know, because by the time I came around, my dad was a Christian. And he, but he, he really didn't like to talk about those days that much. He would talk about his alcoholism. He didn't like to talk about his motorcycle gang days. And so he'd refer to it, he'd say, oh, it's just a club. My dad was missing like four teeth because of this club. <laughs> and I'd tell him that. I'd say, Dad, it can't be just a club. He had a lot of, all that, he had a lot of rough edges. And my dad wasn't perfect, so don't hear me say that. But this is what my dad was. He was so convinced that his life was full of the Holy Spirit instead of being full of alcohol. He just wanted to do what Jesus would tell him to do. And so, so when, when, when Jesus went to to smooth out one of those rough edges more times than not and usually with my dad it was pretty quick when he knew that the God didn't want him to do something it was pretty quick there wasn't a lot of lag time he just quit doing it because he wanted to be he knew what Jesus had done in his life so much so strong there's no denying the power of God that had been at work in him that made him him from a fall down drunk to a, to a follower of Jesus but a follower of Jesus who, you know, when he first became a Christian, even before me, you know, he still, he had rough language and he had rough friends and he had all the things that go along with all that. And God kept shaping him, molding him. So by the time I came along, you know, I was born three years after his conversion. I really didn't know, know you know, when you're three, you don't know, or when you're born, you don't know anything. It took me until four, five, six, seven, and then he'd been a Christian for 10 years. All this to say, my dad by the end, he was the white-haired old saint in this church, my mom too. 
I, I, I get it from my dad. He, could, he couldn't pray without crying. He couldn't, he couldn't sing victory in Jesus without crying. He couldn't read scripture. Don't ever ask my, would never ask my dad to read scripture. He'd get three words out and start blubbering. What happened? God took this motorcycle gang living on the streets of Detroit, life a total mess, and, and began to transform him. Now, some of that happened soon. Some of that happened overnight. He never had another drink. But some of that took years and years and years and years. And he just kept saying, yes, Lord, yes, if that's, if that's a problem, the Holy Spirit is directing him. Probably you need to avoid that. Bob, there's some, this is in your life that you need to work on. And he had the crazy notion that if Jesus said you need to work on it, then, well, doggone it, I guess I better work on it. That's what I want for you. I want you to experience the Holy Spirit. I want you to know the deep, rich, abundant life. That's what Jesus said. He said the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. That's what the liar says. He wants to steal your life. He wants to rob you of joy. He wants you to be in the pit. But my purpose, Jesus said, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Some versions say the abundant life. If you're not experiencing the abundant life, I'd encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to work. Say, Lord, I haven't been listening. Maybe you've been a Christian, but you just haven't been listening to the Holy Spirit. And today is a good day. Say, Lord, I need you. I need your presence. Fill me, use me, make me, mold me, show me how you want me to move forward. And I believe God will answer that prayer. Why don't you stand? We're going to sing just an old chorus. Holy Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. If, if that's you and you just need to pray this morning, you need the Holy Spirit to be at work in your life, maybe it's a time to be, the, the, the old time word we'd say, sanctified holy, getting all of the Holy Spirit filling you and then you listening and daily following after him. Then come on down and pray as we sing this chorus.